When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Great to be able to do something like this, to have a virtual holiday instead of a real one. Safer than getting on a plane at the moment. <laughs> and I didn't want it to slip into the cliche of merely being a series of orgies punctuated by, you know, drug-fueled flights of the imagination. It's the reason I left. I, I didn't want to, to remain employed in a band that I think I was supposed to be a full-blown member in, only to come up against the brick walls. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Vintage Rock Pod, the podcast series that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks as always for hitting play. Now, this is the first episode for us for 2021, so I hope you all had a good festive period and a great holiday season, and fingers crossed it's the year that life can return to some sense of normal for all of us. Now, in the last few weeks, I've been busy trying to get some big names secured to interview for you. Uh, I've managed to get some really diverse names to come and speak to me, some really diverse acts as well, all, as you'd expect, with a great story to tell. Now, on this episode, we've got another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. It's our fifth inductee in just 13 shows. I'll tell you what, the big names, they all speak to Vintage Rock Pod. Now, this show's guest is a guitar virtuoso for sure. Eddie Van Halen credited him with the tapping technique that became Eddie's forte, despite the fact that our guest was doing it back as early as 1971. He was part of one of the biggest prog rock bands around, working on seminal albums such as Selling England by the Pound, Nursery Crime and The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. I am, of course, talking about the wonderful Steve Hackett from Genesis. So, a big interview with him to come where we chat about so many different things, including his time with Genesis and and why he doesn't think he's ever likely to be involved in a full reunion. We talk about his new album that he's got out now. He's got an update to his autobiography, his spiritual beliefs, and what's in the pipeline for him in 2021. So much ground covered. It really is a great interview. Now, also on this episode, I'll run you down my favourite five prog-era Genesis songs, and we'll catch up with the latest news from the rock world with author and journalist Tim Peacock from Record Collector magazine and Universal's YouDiscoverMusic.com. So such a lot to pack into this week's episode. But before we do that, we'll start as usual by quickly saying some thank yous and shout-outs. Thank you to Joseph Kay from Play That Rock and Roll podcast, who had me on his show. I was the interviewee for a change, felt really strange after nearly 20 years of interviewing musicians to suddenly being the one answering the questions so thank you to joseph for having me on his show 
Also, a big hello to uh, Bex Goose for plugging our podcast on Twitter and other platforms too. It's very much appreciated. Keep up the good work. Also, a shout out to Judy Hoffman, Den Hayward and Byron Nelson for all the love and shares on Facebook as well. And to Valina, Leah and Tim, who all appeared on the fan special episode, which has just been released as well. So check that episode out if you haven't already. And as I keep getting asked the question, when people see me or messaging, I can now confirm we've listened, we've been listened to in 43 different countries. That's a jump of nine since our last episode before Christmas. So I thank you for listening and getting in touch on social and in email. And thank you for all the reviews on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. It really does make a big difference. Now, with that out of the way, it's time to fire into this week's show and speak to our first big guest of 2021. Now, my next guest on the Vintage Rock Pod is a virtuoso guitar player known for groundbreaking techniques, part of one of the world's biggest groups in Genesis, released many, many albums, and is a rock and roll Hall of Fame inductee as well. It's my pleasure to welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, Mr. Steve Hackett. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? Nice to talk. I'm good. It is. It's lovely to chat with you, Steve. I mean, you've been a busy boy. I mean, the last 12 months has been particularly difficult for, for many, many people due to COVID and things like that. But in that yeah. time, you've been remarkably busy, released your long-awaited autobiography, a live album, and now a brand new acoustic album called Under a Mediterranean Sky. Now that's some output, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, it's been a very busy time for me. Uh, Normally I'd been doing uh, tons of shows around the world and suddenly um, America closed down halfway through our our tour and uh, we came back and found there was extra time to work on stuff like a a live album, setting in by the Pound Spectral Mornings. There was the autobiography. I had a bit more time to work on that, uh, the acoustic album, and I was also involved in another rock album. So too many things. An embarrassment of uh, riches, really. That's never a bad thing to have. Now, considering many of us are stuck in our houses, we're working yeah. from home more than we've ever yeah. had them before, people are shielding. Yeah. This album that you've just released now, it's it's an evocative Mediterranean-filled um, album full of songs that can take you away from this life that we're all living in, staring at in our own four walls. It's almost the perfect antidote for all of us, wistfully dreaming of the sun, so, so thank you. <laughs> it, it is escapist, in a sense. You know, places that I've already visited were the inspiration for this, as well as my wife Jo and um, of course the people I worked with, uh, many of whom are from the Mediterranean and um, it's it's great to be able to do something like this, to have a virtual holiday instead of a instead of a real yeah. one. Uh, safer than getting on a plane at the moment. <laughs> Definitely right. I've personally spent time in Morocco and Marrakesh and Wazazart and the Sahara and I've travelled to Spain and Greek islands and things like that and for me listening to it, well it really done. does evoke the feeling of those places. So what was it that made you such a, a big fan personally of, of the region and the cultures and the sounds then? Well, I was already touring a lot of uh, um, uh, Mediterranean places because many of them are on the, the touring map for, for, for rock musicians. And beyond that, of course, being a tourist and being married to someone who was already a world traveller before we met, she was showing me pictures of, of Turkey and, 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 and being in, in the middle of ruins in Greece and, and Crete. And, uh, and so it was already exotic, you know, her, her, mm-hmm. her family album was well spotted with all, with all this stuff. And so um, uh, when we got together, it was, a, it was a meeting of minds as well as, as many, many other things. And um, since then, of course, we've been to all sorts of regions, many of which are around the Med, uh, relating to the album. But, you know, in a, in a wider sense, you know, we've recently been to, oh, my God, you know, we've been to Africa, we've been to Ethiopia, we've we travelled um, far and wide 
the Sahara, many of the places that, that you that you mentioned, and Joe is a is a big Grecophile, and she was the one who suggested the title of this album and the idea of if I was going to do an acoustic album to make it more exotic and make it more of a journey, not to just be merely influenced by uh, 19th century romantic music or flamenco or many other things, baroque music, but but the idea of, of uh, widening it, broadening it. So I think I think job done because it, it evokes images and we've done some videos to um, accompany yeah. these things. There's a couple of, you know, puck of videos, uh, Andalusian Heart, the Spanish one, and also um, Sirocco has an interesting video with it where... It's romance of place um, as much as anything else. So um, on Andalusian Heart, I'm sort of miming along to the guitar track in as much as I can. The tracks on it, they're all very intricate. I love the way they, they flow and they weave and they wind and the, the tempo changes an awful lot and obviously multiple instrumentation, which you're very much known for. Did you enjoy being in the studio producing these kind of records? I mean, what was the process like putting these tracks together? We had... Um, as well as the nylon guitar, which I've got at home, so I can work with that fluently. There are a few exotic instruments. Um, I've got the Arabian Oud. My one is actually an Iraqi instrument. Not a place I visited, but I have the instrument, um, so I'm playing a little bit of that. Um, there's a Peruvian charango, another short-scale stringed instrument. Most people might be familiar with that from um, Simon and Gar- Garfunkel's El Condor Paso the introduction, you know, right at the beginning, the, the shimmering thing. It's absolutely. Now, as I said at the start of the interview as well, um, something else you did in the last 12 months was your autobiography, long-awaited autobiography. Um, it's something that you've been working on for, for a long time, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, in a sense, any autobiography takes you your whole life to, to put yeah. together, really, you know, a collection of, of memories and opinions and various things. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I must have started work on this about 15 years ago and there was so much touring going on I would do a bit and then have to stop and get involved with other things and then uh, the year beforehand I I would say 2019 as it were 2019 that was a year that we really cracked on with with trying to um, to finish this I was halfway through an American tour America closed down we weren't able to fulfill those commitments it was 60 cancelled shows throughout this year and um it gave me extra time to work on it uh, luckily and looks like there's going to be a, a, a paperback edition because it's it seems to have sold mm-hmm. sold well and um uh so i'll be i'll be doing that with an updated chapter or so and and and, and maybe a different cover and and what have you but the idea is to keep it coming really and and if we get to do other books in future, I'll be very happy to do that because there's actually a lot more to share. I'm probably a more fluent uh, writer than I am uh, a speech therapist here, as I tend to sort of go off on tangents. Apologies <laughs> for doing that. But. That's okay. It's funny because I've asked a few people who've brought out their own autobiographies and asked them to describe the process and how they felt whilst coming up with it. And I've had answers from cathartic to to humorous and and heartwarming and and, and sad. And how how did you find putting together your your life story? Well, I thought it's got to be revealing, and I didn't want it to slip into the cliche of merely being a series of orgies punctuated by by you know drug fueled flights of the imagination I, I thought yes people do expect that from musicians and it's important to 
uh, admit that I wasn't a complete saint and I've been a complete idiot, boring on the criminal at times. But that's not what it's all about. There's more to life than, than being a naughty boy. So in my younger day, um, I tended to push the envelope more. Whereas, you know, here I am um, in my, is it my eighth decade? You know, and, um, you know, this is, it's time to uh, preserve what there is left. But at the same time, um, to be as adventurous as possible. I, I mean, I won't do some of the things that I did at, at one time. I, I, I won't be jumping off mountains, um, doing hang gliding. Um, I won't be doing um, undersea explorations. I'll leave that to the younger man, but my fingers are still working and, and my explorations in, in music, luckily the ears are okay. I think adventures are, are different from me now. I'm, Harmonic explorations are everything, I think, for the long-term musician. If, if, if you're in it for the marathon, and I am, I hope there'll, there'll be many more explorations in future and in as many different styles as I can muster. We hope so too. Uh, you mentioned marathon there in terms of your, your, your musical life. Uh, let's go back to the starting gun then, shall we? Um, yeah. Your advert in Melody Maker saying you're an imaginative guitarist, writer, seeking involvement with musicians determined to strive beyond existing stagnant musical forms. Now that's a very confident advert that you put out there, one that Peter Gabriel was intrigued enough to to, to read and, and get in touch with you about, to, to ask you to join Genesis. Tell us about that little, little period of your time then when you joined the band. In those days, um, the Melody Maker was um, the paper. It was the go-to paper. If you wanted a gig, you wanted to work with other musicians. Um, many top bands were formed from the back pages of that. You know, that's the way musicians got in touch with each other. And uh, I left school at 16, as you could in those days. And um, I really uh, concentrated very hard. So five years of ads... My ad started out, first of all, with a blues guitarist, harmonica player, seeks work. Oof. Very basic. Didn't really get me anywhere. Five years later, you know, the, the ads were becoming very specific. And, and that was the most outrageous, the, 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 um, the thing that sounded, if it sounded confident, yeah. Uh, Peter Gabriel phoned me up. I did the audition with, with Genesis, first of all, just with Peter Gabriel and, and Tony Banks, and they seemed to like what I would what I was doing. And um, along with my brother, we were playing things to them. Uh, they seemed to embrace it all. And um, I, I was very lucky to find them. I think you know. I think it was a, a lucky combination uh, where you've got two people or, or or two teams of people coming together. I think my predecessor in Genesis was largely responsible for holding the band together and uh, coming up with a lot of the really exotic songs they did before I joined, uh, Anthony Phillips, and, and we're great pals um, to this day. And um, we sometimes record together. That's been very nice um, mm. to work with him, as I think he's hugely talented. And um, But his, you know, they were big shoes to fill. Don't forget, they'd been at school together, so there was this history and a, and a celebration of what he brought to the band. And so I brought as many ideas as I could to the band, not all of them were embraced. Some of them were. Many were rejected. Sometimes I would bring back the same idea the following year. And we would turn it into a song and, it, and one of them became our first hit single. So it's very difficult working within a team. I think that uh, especially if the team has existed and they've known each other, you know, to some extent, 
since they were 11 years old, they practically had their own language. Um, you know, it, it's like suddenly becoming an American or, or a Venusian. You know, it's got its own set of rules. It's got its own language. It's You've got to do more than just play guitar. So um, I found it quite intimidating at first. Um, but I, I, I was determined, as, as we all were. So it was it was thrilling and appalling in, in equal measure. Um, you know, the idea that what have I got to do to get an idea across uh, before I get shouted down? So um, you just had to be bloody as bloody-minded as some of the rest of them <laughs> at times. And that's how, how it was with Genesis. It seems like it was a bunch of gentlemen. Uh, the term gentleman hoodlums was uh, invented uh, for that band. Uh, yes, it would be. You know, people were trying to unseat you from your horse quite a lot of the time. So, uh, if I'd realised quite how competitive it was going to be, I, I probably would have come in with more more guns blasting. It's you know, well, these are my terms and conditions if we want to. <laughs> It's it's funny you mentioned the word competitive there because that's that's something I was thinking of straight away as soon as you started talking. It's a very larger than life characters as well, aren't they? Um, <laughs> but uh, during your time there, you released some incredible albums, some some albums that I look back and remember so fondly and groundbreakingly yeah. uh, today. And and one which you released um, the the live version of it when you toured recently as well, not too long ago, um, selling England by the pound. Do you, do you still personally love that album? I do. I, I I love the album and I love so much of the work that we did together. Um, I think it was a fabulous band, uh, an incredible collection of brain children. It's it's funny, you know, because you, you can't really beat the Beatles. I think the Beatles were to pop music and rock music what Bach was to classical music. So he will always be the father of that, as I think the Beatles, quite rightly, with George Martin, uh, are, you know, that it is the blueprint for everything that followed, whether the te technology changes or not. But with Genesis, I think, as a collection of, of writers together, it's been unrivaled. And I could just say that about the others, never mind what I can feel. So it was quite it was quite the team. And of course, most people have gone their own way and done things separate. There's, occasionally, it reconvenes. Um, but I, I doubt that, that I will be involved with any of that, even though I will be up for it. I think there will be a resistance. Um, just because um, I think whatever Mike and Tony, I think their idea is whatever they can control, um, they, they, they would do. But, you know, that controlling interest is not going to be resigned or even, um, you know, it's like loosening the reins just for a while. It isn't going to happen. So it's the reason I left. I, I, I didn't want to, to remain employed in a band that I think I was supposed to be a full um, full-blown member in uh, only to come up against the brick walls at times um, but I, I don't I don't resent that it's just that um, I had a, a hit when I was still in the band and um, and then the troubles really started for me because um, as I say as a very competitive team um, uh, perhaps you know that was the downfall of Genesis you know when a band gets to the point where it's more competitive than collaborative, you know, it's it's likely to be retired for the next 20 years or so. And then maybe there's a sort of uh, hostilities cease for a while, but it's only a matter of time before, before those, those salvos start up again. And so um, it's a very funny, funny band that will um, sometimes 
congratulate you privately and publicly denounce you. <laughs> it's, it's extraordinarily competitive. What can I say? It's, and I'm not the only one to have said that. He's been part of the band. You asked Peter Gabriel, you know, um, he'll tell you the same thing. And do you still keep in touch with, with your former Genesis bandmates? What's the relationship like there now? Over the, A lot of time's obviously passed since then. Yes, yeah. Um, well, in recent times, I've been in touch with both Peter and, um, and with Phil. Um, I haven't spoken to Mike or Tony for a while, but every now and again, you know, we, we do. And, um, you know, send each other Christmas cards and, and, and what have you. Um, and if ever we get together, you know, it's always warm. Um, you know, but it's normally merely in the social sense or, or to give sanction to a compilation or or something that we've been involved with. Um, yeah, interesting body of work, I think, and, indi- uh, and individually interesting, I think, the fact that there's so many different kinds of music that the band has, has touched on. Absolutely. And just one last little thing from your autobiography, then, if you don't mind. I love life's little coincidences. And I spoke to John Ilsley from Dire Straits recently, and he, he spoke of many different uh, coincidences yeah. that, that led to some of the success with their band. Um, one little thing that I liked from your autobiography was the time you bought a leather jacket from a young gentleman at a Kensington market who turned out to be a megastar. Um, Freddie Mercury, can you tell us about that story? Well, he wasn't a, a, a megastar at that time. At the time, yeah. Uh, but I remember a young guy who was very very open and warm and friendly and um, I guess he could have sold me anything. (laughs) Told me how marvellous I looked in it and I believed every word. Uh, Probably looked more like a Polish dissident and he blundered into, um, you know, (laughs) wrong charity shop, I should think. But, um, you know, I I think that uh, I I wasn't terribly confident in those days and, um, yeah, you know, so I think I had Probably bought Robin Hood's jacket off him, and um, and um, had Hank Marvin's glasses. It was never going to be a winning combination sartorially, <laughs> but um, but of course, yeah, it's a lovely guy. And um, many years later, I, w- I was to hook up again with you know the guys from Queen when I was working with um, GTR with Steve Howe, and uh, I got to work with with Brian Brian May on a couple of projects. We were making an album that, that, that became called uh, Feedback 86. came out many, many years later. Um, but he also helped me with something I'd, I'd organized called the um, Rock Against Repatriation for the Vietnamese boat people. And um, uh, we were working together in the studio, just looking up at the TV, watching the BBC News. And we were suddenly, we were on the BBC News together. <laughs> and we thought, how cool is that? You know, to, there we are. And we literally got our guitars out and we're sitting in the very studio we're watching on the news. Um, so that was um, that was extraordinary. That was nice. Mike Rutherford was involved in that and tons of tons of people in the music business were, were involved in it. Um, yeah, so I, I became friends with Brian, who I had no idea that he was aware of what early Genesis was. And he said, the very first track on the first album I did with Genesis in 71, which is my God, it's 50 years ago, practically to the day that I joined them. Certainly we were in rehearsal at this point, and then um, Sunday coming uh, will be, I think it's supposed to be the, um, the anniversary of the very first gig I ever did with them. Anyway, he said, Musical Box, he said, he said that's an influence on me, that track, the guitar work. And I said, what? And I realized that right at the end of the track, there was some harmony guitar work. I did some three-part harmony on the end of it, 
Um, I don't think you hear that in the mix. It sounds more like two. But I had no idea that uh, he was influenced by that. I'm not sure that we were the guitar army that the Queen were, you know, the fact that he tracked himself up. And he'd obviously had the same idea that, you know, if we could record enough guitars, it could be a guitar orchestra. And that's literally what, what, he, what he did. Um, fabulous player that he is. And on that track, there's also some tapping uh, from 71. Yeah. And um, later on, uh, Eddie Van Halen credited me with, with an influence from that. Uh, so isn't it, isn't it strange the way things work? And he was a fabulous guitarist, of course. And it's terrible to see the passing of guys who I think are still, you know, in spirit, so young and vital, doing incredible work. Just the stuff that he did with Michael Jackson alone beat it. Just that one guitar solo, um, probably the most famous thing he ever did. Uh, what a fantastic player he was. And, and uh, if I can mention Peter Green as well, I'm talking about guitarists. Yeah. Passing of Peter Green, you know, when I was in my mid-teens, I started to go and see shows with John Mayle when Peter Green was playing with them quite a bit before the formation of of uh, Fleetwood Mac. And for about a year or so, I was I was watching Peter Green playing live with John Mayle and, and marvelling at what a fluent blues man he was. I'm sure these guys are still there in, in spirit. I have spiritual beliefs, spiritual experiences. I feel quite sure that, that they're around somewhere. Uh, I know that I'm sounding very, perhaps I'm sounding a bit hippy-dippy to people there. Wake up at the back there. Right, you know, uh, yeah, spiritual experiences. Um, I've had some media, mediumistic things. I've come across the odd ghost. I've um, uh, experienced premonitions, as has my wife. And, um, okay, uh, science doesn't tell the whole story yet. And science, of course, is open to the idea of with quantum physics and, and, and all the rest, super string theory, the idea of other dimensions has to at least be a possibility that has not been disproved at this point. So science is open to it. So wake up at the back there and don't yeah. say that when you die, you die and that's it because you don't bloody well know because you aren't a scientist. Nobody knows. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows. So what's to come then for, from from you for the next year or so then, Steve? I know it's pretty difficult to, to, to talk about maybe because tours are up in the air at the moment with everything that's going on, yeah. but if, you must have some plans. Yeah, I, I have plans. Uh, there are touring plans. Um, we were hoping to be able to do all sorts of things. As I said before, there were 60 cancelled shows and that was last year alone. Isn't it crazy? You know, all, all this this lockdown business um uh when the world is open for business we'll be we'll be back in business i've got a band that's hugely frustrated hot to go and, and do it all over again and we'll be playing the whole of seconds out amongst other things um the genesis album from 1977 looking forward to it tremendously need to get out there and play some shows meet some people again that would be wonderful i also have a, another rock album I'm working on um, because there's always something in the pipeline. There's always the current release, and then there's always the other, the other stuff that goes with it. So, um, yeah. How far are you with the rock album? Then, have you have you got tracks laid down? Is it all demo stage? Have you got names? Anything? Well, like that? I think I think that um, uh, it's not finished till it's finished. That that's the thing. So I, I can't really divulge at the moment just how far I, down the line I am because um, you know. 
things do get rearranged and, and uh, 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 some things get sidelined and other things get polished. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a mystery even to me how albums get done because, you know, I have this scatterbrain approach to things and um, I sit down with Roger King. He's much more methodical and he rationalizes, you know, my instinctive stuff. Um, I also work with my wife Jo on things creatively, as we've done with, with Under a Mediterranean Sky, because she's a huge part of this. So she's a bit like an unsung member of the band, really, or the extended band that becomes an orchestra by the time we've added people um, on it from all over the world. That's perfect. That's Thank you very much, Steve. No, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Under, uh, under yeah. the Mediterranean Sky is out, uh, available to download and, and stream and all that sort of stuff now. So um, I uh, recommend everyone checks it out. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Nice to talk. Thanks. So plenty to look out for if you're a fan of Steve. Then his new acoustic album is out now. It's available to buy and stream. And over the next year or so, we're looking out for a new rock album from him, a tour as well once the world settles down, and an update to his brilliant autobiography called A Genesis in My Bed. And a quick reminder, if you haven't heard any of the other interviews on earlier episodes, please go back and check them out because there's some great insights from so many different stars, including people from the likes of Dire Straits and The Scorpions and Small Faces and Buzzcocks and Susie Quattro and Steve Harley and many, many more. Just have a scroll back through the list of episodes and enjoy right now it's the time of the show where i give you my top five song recommendations from the artist and for this piece i'm going to stick to steve hackett era genesis 1971 to 1977 it was when the band were at their peak of their prog rock powers and produced some seminal albums now before i get a raft of where's this song and i can't believe you haven't included this one sort of messages this is my personal top five favorites okay so with my tin hat firmly on here's the top five genesis prog rock era songs according to vintage rock pod at five is the opening track from their first and only double concept album released in 1974 the last album to feature peter gabriel at five is the lamb lies down on broadway Next up is a song from the album A Trick of the Tail, although I personally love the live version which opens the band's 1977 live album Seconds Out. Phil Collins on vocals on this. At number four is Squonk. At three is the third track on the album Selling England by the Pound, written as a pun to the Firth of Forth near Edinburgh with much of its imagery as well involved. It opens with a complex piano intro and ends with our guest Steve Hackett's incredible lengthy guitar solo. And number three for me is Firth of Fifth. The song at number two is probably the track most Genesis fans would expect, nay, demand to be at number one, but for me, there's one more that I enjoy more. So at two is a masterpiece, undeniably so. It's the very heart of prog rock, all 23 minutes of it. It took up nearly the entire side two of the record, and it's structured in seven parts. At number two comes from the album Foxtrot from 1972. It's Supper's Ready. And at number one, my personal favourite Genesis song is another from the Selling England by the Pound album, the song that gave the album its name, the opening track. It's a brilliant commentary of where the country was at this point in time. But for me, it's the bit where it explodes at two and a half minutes in that gets me every time. It's big and grand and all the band contribute to what is a brilliant song, in my opinion. The number one Genesis song, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is the wonderful Dancing with the Moonlit Night.
So there you go. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of that list. Constructive comments, please. Catch me on social media. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. All right, now it's time for us to speak to our good friend, author and journalist from YouDiscoverMusic.com and Record Collector magazine, Tim Peacock, as he runs us down this week's News in Rock. Okay, it's a suitably eclectic selection of stuff, which is pretty much as usual. Uh, but let's start with um, a classic um, British rock band, um, The Kinks, uh, this week. Yeah. They're, uh, they're just announced uh, as an exclusive live stream event. It's uh, 50 years since they released their album uh, Lola versus Power Man and The Money Grow Round past Part 1. People usually just call it Lola, Lola. versus yeah. Power Man. It's, yeah. <laughs> And it's got, and it does, of course, have Lola and Eight Man, the two big hit singles on it. It's not actually a gig that they're doing, but it's um, it's a one-man show. It's actually, it's, ba- it's called The Money Go Round. It's about a, a character facing the challenges, circumstances of making an album under extreme pressure. Ray Davis says in a statement, it's actually a play. Um, and he, sa- he says in a press release, this play is similar to a psychodrama follows the ups and downs of the character as he plays out events in his life. He confronts the dark forces surrounding him after falling into an emotional and financial hole. Eventually he is saved by a song after confiding in his friend Lola. So it's obviously going to be based on the, the themes of they're explored on the record. That's going to be broadcast. It's on the Kinks official YouTube channel and it's on, it's 8pm January the 29th. So next Friday in effect. So yeah. Fantastic. That, okay, from the Kinks to another, another classic, classic British band, but a classic British progressive rock band, uh, Genesis, who of course have announced, well, have already announced that they've been doing uh, a UK and Irish tour. It's still happening, mm-hmm. but they put it back originally. It would have, it was supposed to be. Uh, 12 months ago and it was actually supposed to be this coming spring but they've put it back now to september and october for obviously the covid related reasons um but anyway genesis seemed determined to play it's the first tour they, they'd be doing since 2007 i think was the last time that they trot the boards mm-hmm. together so anyway this tour is called the last domino possibly question mark so it, we don't we don't know but um the, the new tour is due as they've moved it now it's now due to kick up on September the 15th at the Three Arena that's in Dublin they're doing two nights there and it it rolls on until into October it's supposed to be three dates at the O2 11, 12 and 13th of October now and obviously the information is on their official website they've also posted um, some clips of them in rehearsal you can see that it's on social media it's on Twitter and uh, it's on YouTube I think as well so uh, they are working away on that anyway so the chances are you may well get to see Genesis if you want to see Genesis this year. Yeah, this year, that would be good. It'd be good to see some bands live, wouldn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, yes, it certainly would. Okay, so final one tonight is um, it's uh, relating to another another classic rocker from the 1970s, although he goes back before then, really. Uh, Peter Frampton, who, of course, we all know and love yeah. from Frampton yeah. Comes Alive and his work with, you know, originally bands like The Herd and Humble Pie and so forth. Yeah, but um, Steve Marriott, exactly, that's yeah. right. But um, anyway, in Frampton's case, it's uh, a new guitar has actually been... Gibson have designed a new guitar for him, actually, or in his honour anyway. They've designed a new guitar. It's called the Phoenix. That's P-H-E-N-I-X. And uh, it's a, a Les Paul custom. Apparently, he's he's used Gibson for a long time as Frampton. So this particular one is in his honour anyway. And uh, he, says, he says about it, my brand new Gibson Les Paul custom VOS is here. And boy, is it good, he says. <laughs> I couldn't be more pleased with the look and the sound 
Gibson has gone that extra mile in every area to make this feel and sound the closest to my original storied Phoenix Les Paul custom guitar. He says that the, the neck and the weight of the mahogany guitar will amaze you at how great it feels and how light it is, he says. Now, the only thing that isn't light, of course, unfortunately, it is from Gibson's custom guitar shop, and the price is not light, unfortunately, because <laughs> most, of, most of the guitars, and they are absolutely beautiful, to be fair, handmade things, that there's very little there that's less than about three and a half, three thousand dollars anyway. So I can't tell you exactly how much this this is going the Frampton guitar will be, but it's certainly going to set you back a few quid anyway. Certainly, there's more information about it on the Gibson Custom Guitar Shop website anyway. Uh, so if you're into Peter Frampton, then it, there's a picture of him actually came out with the press release, and it does does look a very smart looking guitar. So um, yeah. it's for the connoisseur, but if you have Absolutely. the money. If you have deep enough pockets, it could be one for you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'll probably pass on that one then for now. Thank you very much, Tim. A pleasure to speak with you and catch up with the, the latest rock news, as always. You're very welcome, Paul. Thanks again. And that's it for episode 13, then. Thanks so much, as always, for listening. Keep spreading the word. Tell your friends and family to get on board, too. Subscribe on whatever directory you listen to your podcasts on so you can go back and enjoy all the previous episodes and so that you don't miss any of the great guests I've got lined up to follow in the coming weeks check us out on social media as well give us a follow and a like on most platforms just search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube I like to put on little video clips and stuff like that from the interviews that we see there maybe share some on this day sort of stuff it's just great rock and roll memorabilia and love of of the era and the the genre and things like that so please give us a like and a follow on there leave us a review and a 5 star rating on iTunes Apple Podcasts or whatever as well that all helps too until episode 14 then remember If you come across anyone who isn't a fan, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.